1: and welcome to tonight's Andrea Kay Show. gosh, I opened the show with a yawn. My my apologies to y'all. Oh my. Yeah, it's been it's been one of those weeks, child. It has been absolutely crazy. I thought last night I might be coming down with the Rona, but it was just a bad case of my allergies. I was sneezing all over the place and I was like, what, an itching, like crazy, like my eyes itching, my nose itching. Then I realized, you know what, it's been a few days since I took my allergy medicines. Gee, maybe that's why I'm sneezing. So anyway, um, apologize for the yawn, but I didn't sleep very well. I, I was behind the curve. Um, I hadn't flattened the curve on my allergies. So I was behind on my allergy meds. So I'm a little tired tonight. But you know what? It does not stop me. From being in a great mood, thank Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And not just because it's Friday Eve, not just because I'm always in a great mood when I get to share this time with you guys who I love so much, but we've got the return tonight. Guess who's back? The prodigal producer who ran off. No, he didn't. Uh, but he, he 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 did go off on a sort. Off. Uh, maybe some people wondered, was he off on like a crocodile Dundee? you know, walkabout. Where has he been? It is none other. Back with me tonight. Upon popular demand. I gotta say thank you though to the fill-ins. We had DJ Radish filling in. We had DJ Corn Cod filling in. But I'm glad to have my man back with me tonight. It's DJ Potato Skins. We have a gentleman.
0: Tremendous things are happening. We built the greatest economy in history. The best jobs, the best. <laughs> DJ <laughs> Potato Skins. DJ Potato Skins. It's
2: quite simple, Andrea. You know, I did go on a little bit of a walkabout. But when you work as hard as I do at producing here at the station, yeah. you're going about a million miles a minute and the sour cream and the chives and the, you know, it, it, the bacon bits, they all fall off. I had to get re-lathered up in my potato skins armor to be able to come back full force to the radio station.
1: Well, we are glad to have you back. I appreciate it. And I know you guys are glad to have him back, too. And we've got a great show for you guys tonight. We've got uh, Julie Kelly's going to be back with us. First time on the show last week. Uh, She's on my our our friend Ed Martin brother Ed Martin show quite a bit which you need to tune in every night here at 7 p.m. pro America report. She wrote the book disloyal opposition which me everybody's reading this book pretty much everybody including them never Trumpers. She's going to be here tonight to talk about are you guys familiar with with an organization called the Lincoln Project. Have you heard about it. Oh, there! these are some never Trumpers who think they're clever with words, acting like they're actually on the, on the side of freedom, on the side of Abraham Lincoln, when what they're really about is trying to take down President Trump, trying to keep him from being reelected. So you're going to want to stay tuned to hear what Julie Kelly has to say about that. As we find out today that we have now 51 million Americans, 50, let me say that again and let it sink in. 51 million Americans who have lost their jobs, unnecessarily, I might add, because of the coronavirus. 51 million.
2: I loved what you and I were talking about before the show, which I had no idea about people testing positive because they could test for the common cold which is a kind of coronavirus and that counts.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean th- there has been there's so many things that we can get into to just uh, to prove the fact that there was never any reason to shut down this government in the first place and yet they continue to shut it down. And 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 then after they reopened for some industries they've shut it down again. You're going to hear from 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 a local woman here in San Diego who owns a barbershop and you're going to get her perspective on what it's like because you're not hearing the perspective of these individuals the ones who whose lives have been destroyed or their businesses, has been destroyed or jobs have been taken from them to the tune of 51 million at this at this point. And many small business owners are really self-employed people. So you've not just shut down their business, but you've taken their job and their livelihood away from them. And it continues. And so it's important that we we put actual faces of Americans to these stories that we're not just talking from some theoretical standpoint, but that you actually hear from the lives of those that have been impacted. Governor Newsom. So you're going to hear from that individual later. Hey, and we would love to hear from you. 888-344-1170. That's 888-344-1170. Uh, what are your thoughts about anything? Whether you're whether you're wanting to chime in on the latest numbers. I think it was a 1.3 million more Americans have, have filed for first-time unemployment claims. Whether or not you want to chime in on uh, the Smithsonian Smithsonian And it's, you know, the Smithsonian Institute has a variety of different museums. Well, one of theirs today posted a a racist anti white people racist tirade in the form of a meme not really uh which has since been taken down a lot of people are talking about it but not in the way that i think they should i would love to hear from you on that or really anything on your mind whether it's about schools reopening there's the push for college football to return whatever's on your mind 888-344-1170 follow me on twitter and instagram at andrea casho and we are streaming live right now at the answer san diego uh facebook page did you hear about that we're going to talk more about those coronavirus numbers and stuff going on with that a little bit later before we have on our Lady Barber. I can't wait to have a Lady Barber on the show. But did you hear You, I know your first day back super busy but did you hear about this Smithsonian No, um, I,
2: when you mentioned it in, in brief I got super curious because I love a lot of the stuff that comes out of the Smithsonian What's going on?
1: Well, first of all I got to tell you as, as before I go into this you got to know that I am a lover of the Smithsonian Institution. I think the first time I went there I was, think I was seven years old And just I've never been there. It.
2: it looks amazing
1: <laughs> It is. But the, what what a lot of people don't realize is there's actually many different museums and different different um, areas that are part of the Smithsonian. So you kind of got to get familiar with you know, where it, you can't see it all in one day. It's kind of like the Louvre. One area that I have never gone and never intend to go is the African American History Museum. And today uh, confirmed why I will never set a toe in that. I'll go back to the Smithsonian and look at how pantyhose were made or maybe the first copy machine or or maybe, maybe they've got... Um, Uh, You know, uh, maybe maybe they're going to have an exhibit with Liberace's, uh, you know, um, his costumes before I'll go to the National Museum of African History. Um, But Potato Skins today, they did a report called whiteness, whiteness, uh, 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 their definition of whiteness. And this was on the Web page associated with the National Museum of African-American History. And I would really like to know why African-American history, what that has to do with whiteness. I think if we were to do, I think if there was, if the, if we were allowed to have a white American museum, would they do anything on on blackness or brownness? So at, at, the, at face value, I'm looking at this going, what? Why would an African American history? Although I guess there's white people in Africa, but African, you know, history I, I wouldn't think would be about whiteness. Um, but they go on to to define whiteness, and this is this is under the guise of education materials, and to explain systemic racism. And there's a chart that was associated with it and it's and it's under the title of Aspects and Assumptions of White Culture in the United States. Keyword assumptions. I, I, as you go through the list, and, and a lot of people have been talking about it today, most people are zeroing in on the line where is underneath nuclear family that husband is breadwinner and head of household, wife is homemaker and subordinate to husband. Um, at this point, you know, I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. Um, you know, white people aren't the only people that have the nuclear family. And When it comes to wife being a homemaker and subordinate to husband, maybe they don't realize that that's kind of more of an aspect of Islam than it is an aspect of, of American tradition whiteness by the way but let's start at number one these here here's how they define whiteness be number one win at all cost winner loser dichotomy okay let's go let's go to be number one how is that an example of whiteness in american history because when i grew up loving the olympics and the american you know united states of america competing some of the greatest competitors we've had that won the gold medal were people of color. So how is, because this, the reason why they're, they're giving these definitions of whiteness is because it's really about how awful America is. Well, America has never been an all white country. We've always had people of color here. And so the American culture of being number one, as it's been displayed in terms of competition, when you think about the Olympics, You know, have we not had people of color being proud to get that gold medal? Have we not had people of color use that gold medal to get themselves in sponsorship and a lot of dollars and a lot of careers?
2: A lot of the times.
1: Yeah, let's talk about but let's go let's go on. Um, here's another um but by the way, if if my whiteness includes the need to be number one and being a competitor, you know what? Guilty. And you know what, I ain't gonna hang my head in shame over that. Um, another is must always do something about a situation. Gee, how awful. I guess I guess the, the preferred thing is that you see something bad happen and, and you're supposed to do nothing. Okay. Um, aggressiveness and extroversion. Um, I guess being an extrovert and being open and friendly, which is usually what being an extrovert—somebody who likes to talk to people and is and is people-oriented—I guess if that's an aspect of of white of whiteness, I'll proudly claim that as well. Um, Protestant work ethic, hard work is the key to success. Okay, again, guilty. I guess what they're saying here is that the preferred um approach to life is to not work, to be lazy, to do nothing in the face of a situation that requires a response, uh, to not care about where you fit in and whether or not you do a good job because the the idea, the underlying foundation of being a competitor and being number one is that you actually want to perform well. Okay, so I guess that's now considered evil and bad and wrong. So I guess I'm to assume that if this is the what whiteness is all about, that blackness is supposed to be the other way. It's supposed to be about a culture of not doing anything, not achieving success and not caring about achieving success, not wanting to do anything about a situation that could be solved, basically not attack a problem with the solution. Is that what you're telling me about blackness? And let me tell you, the response from the Republicans and conservatives to this attack on white people, that gets so nasty as the fact to say that whiteness involves wanting to just, and, and this one I've I found particularly Uh, You know, insulting that we white people get a load of this potato skins before I take a break. We white people. All we all we are about is steak and potatoes and we got to make it make it bland. Now, you don't. I'm going to take offense to that as somebody who loves
2: your taters. I am an Irishman. I love steak and potatoes. And you know what that how much that offends me? Zero.
1: Yeah. Well, you know what? I find it offensive because I, you know, it, once I once I was weaned off the breast, there has never been a meal I consumed that didn't start with a saute of onions and peppers. Okay.
2: Talking my language.
1: Yeah. So I to say that we white people don't like our food seasoned. This must be written by some Yankee who never went south of of the Mason Dixon line to eat some southern soul food. Okay. We white people, particularly those of us in Louisiana, like our seasoning. But let me tell you, to think that it is appropriate to to discuss in any context, anybody of color with their food is absolutely outrageous because you are not allowed in this country to ever say in any context way, shape or form within a 10 mile radius or within 10 years of a conversation about black people any mention of fried chicken or watermelon. So to think that it's okay to say anything like this about white people is absolutely outrageous. And to the Republicans and conservatives coming back on this today and responding and thinking that they're clever by saying the problem here is that it is it is a backhanded slap and attack on black people is not the way to respond this is not a passive aggressive attack on black people this is a full frontal assault on whites in this country and it must be met with an equal full frontal assault in response Shame on anybody who was associated in any way, shape or form with publicizing this on the on the United States Smithsonian Institution webpage. There should be an investigation about who did it and they should be fired for being a racist pig there. I said it. We're going to take a break. We come back. We're going to bring in Julie Kelly and she's going to talk about the never Trumpers and how they're trying to once again stop President Trump. Will they succeed this time? Because they didn't in 2016. Stay tuned.
0: Be sure to follow Andrea K on Twitter at Andrea K Show. And follow her on Facebook and like her fan page at Andrea K. Kay. Spelled K-A-Y-E. You're listening to the Andrea K Show
2: on the Answer San Diego.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back to tonight's Andrea K Show. Glad to have you guys with me. 51 million Americans out of work. Due to a government shutdown that was based on faulty models and inflated numbers, cities burning across this country, crime running absolutely rampant in mayors like Bill de Blasio and that that numbskull up in Seattle after Chaz, letting, letting the blocks be seized and, and occupied. Democrat governors like Newsom continuing to shut down and inflict as much pain as they can on the people. We've got uh, we've got a race war going on right now. We've got the Smithsonian Institution doing putting out crap about whiteness going on. And and you would think with all this happening, you would think that everybody who associates and aligns themselves with in remotely with conservatism or uh, or being a Republican would see the crisis that we're at and join and rally behind President Trump. But oh, no. Oh, no. We got these never Trumpers, same ones from 2016, who thought they were going to stop President Trump in 2016. They are back and doing everything that they can to stop him from being reelected. And joining me now to discuss this is Julie Kelly. She is the uh, senior contributor at American Greatness and author of the book Disloyal Opposition. And you can follow her on Twitter at Julie underscore Kelly, two. Hey, Julie, welcome back to The Andrea K Show.
3: Hi, Andrea. Thanks for having me on. Okay,
1: so, um. I guess there's, um, they, these losers lost in 2016. Some of these people are the, these never Trumpers are the same ones that have a history of losing, like working with the McCain campaign. They thought that they were going to stop Trump from getting the nomination back in 2016 when he was up against 17 other Republicans. That didn't work. They thought they were going to stop him from getting elected, actually willing to, you know, put their weight behind Hillary Clinton who allowed Americans to be killed in Benghazi and more. Um, so even with that history of losing, they're back And they are determined to stop President Trump from being reelected. And on top of it, um, they've got a whole lot of money behind them involving the Democrats. Is this now who are these people in these groups? And is, is, is this now something that we should be concerned about?
3: Well, I talk about in my book how a lot of these Never Trump projects are funded by um, a left wing billionaire, the founder of eBay, Pierre Omidyar. So he has a very well-funded foundation that pours millions of dollars into these Never Trump projects. A lot of them are fronted by Bill Kristol who is basically the de facto leader of Never Trump. Um, But now you're seeing this week the Lincoln Project, which is the latest manifestation of Never Trump's ongoing temper tantrum. That also is being exposed as heavily funded by Democrats, uh, Clinton donors, people who are tied to the Democratic Party. So a lot of the funding mechanisms for these Never Trump so-called conservatives and Republicans are not conservatives or Republicans, they're Democrats.
1: Okay, so these Democrats, because everybody's been talking about the Lincoln Project and, you know, and what what I will say about these Never Trumpers is they're clever because they're they're following. They're just like Democrats or they are Democrats um, because they're really good with the wordsmithing. I mean, they name themselves after Abraham Lincoln when the reality is, is they're uh, they're just as, as far left, apparently as the democrats and they're running ads everywhere and it's in in, and one of the reasons why i wanted to do this segment was because i wanted people to understand you got to know who the enemy is and i said when president trump won in 2016 that he went to washington dc facing two opposition parties and we didn't really know how deep it was in the republican we knew about bill crystal at the time but um you know it it, the, the opposition is very deep and it's even worse now for him in terms of the never trumpers than it was in 2016 and i'm wondering what the impact might be they got all this money behind them uh from the lincoln project and this other one they're running ads everywhere Uh, the exposure about them is great you're doing articles about it making people aware of it but is it is it a situation to where they're going to be running these ads and it might have some effect
3: I don't know. I mean, their goal is, according to the Lincoln Project, and then there's another new nonprofit, Republican Voters Against Biden, which uh, I'm sorry, Republican Voters Against Trump, which are running these, you know, sketchy testimonials by people who allegedly are Republicans or voted for Trump in 2016, but aren't going to vote for him in 2020, which I haven't found one Trump voter who's said that, but okay. so they're trying to, they're going to air these ads in swing states and attempt to flip or scare off the vaunted white suburban mom from uh, voting for Donald Trump. Will it work? I don't know. It really never has worked. It certainly didn't work in 2016. Uh, 2018, you'd be hard pressed to credit never Trumpers for uh, Democrats taking the House back, even though they supported Democrats. So I don't know, Andrea, I I think in some way, a lot of this backfires, right? Because it reminds Trump supporters and voters what we traded in when we elected donald trump we don't want these people back in power when donald trump was elected and especially in the primary it was a repudiation Mm -hmm. of the establishment republicans including bill crystal and the people who run this party we don't want them back in power so in some ways i think it might uh you know fuel up the base a little bit i hope so well, uh,
1: the interesting thing is, is to me anyway, is that th- th- this is so typical of these squishy uh, or establishment Republicans who think that kowtowing to the left is going to win them praise. Uh, you look at Rick Wilson, who's behind this Lincoln Project, and he went on CNN, I think it was CNN, to do this uh, segment that involves these cartoon characters, thinking that they were just going to love up on him. And instead, mm-hmm. they completely skewered him. Now, if you guys don't remember who Rick Wilson is, who's behind this. Lincoln project. He's the one that that had Don Lemon giggling so much when he called uh, Trump supporters what, what uh, ignorant or stupid or illiterate you know scumbags like toothless, rube.
4: to- toothless rubes, toothless rubes.
1: Yeah. Right, right. So um, you know, um, so he goes on there thinking, uh, and this is this should be the lesson for not just these Never Trumpers, but for the Republicans themselves and the Lindsey Graham's and those currently in office. They are never going to. It doesn't matter how much, particularly when, when we're looking at this Black Lives Matter movement that we've got going on, the bullying going on. There's nothing that you can do to win favor these, with these people. It doesn't matter how much you give in to them. They are going to continue to hate you. And I think that President Trump needs to remember that as well. It doesn't matter what he did to save lives for coronavirus. It doesn't matter that there's not one thing that Democrats could do any different or any better to save any life. They're never going to give him credit for it. And he might as well um, he might as well get back to being, in my opinion, that President Trump that he was in 2016. Just do what's right for the people. Continue to push to have schools reopen, to not do any kind of mandate with mask and six foot distancing because it's unconstitutional and it doesn't follow any science and it's just a tool for control by the left. I think he needs to go back to speaking honestly and fiercely, just like he did in 2016. And I think he needs to shove Fauci to the side as well as anybody else that stands in his way. And I think that he might be on that course to that by replacing Brad Parscale. Your thoughts on that?
3: I definitely think Trump needs to get back to being Donald Trump. I think that the lockdown and him being away from his base and listening to people uh, has has kind of got him on his heels. Uh, I think he's realized a little too late unfortunately, the advice he was getting from Fauci and Burks was so wrong headed and crashed this beautiful economy he had going. I mean, you look back just four or five months ago you know to february twenty twenty how he emerged from impeachment stronger than ever. His approval ratings were higher than ever. The Republican Party's approval rating was high. I mean, people were expecting he was going to fail to really a landslide. And then you had coronavirus, the lockdown, and now the race war. So he really does need to regroup. Um, he needs to hit Biden harder, get Biden out of his basement, uh, make sure that push, keep pushing as hard as they can to get him into a debate into the debates. But yes, Andrea, he needs to get back to who he is, because uh, um, understandably, he's been on the ropes a little bit. I have some faith that he will. But look, Andrea, he has no support in Washington. Look at these Republican senators. They should be ashamed of themselves. Uh, It's unfortunate we can't go back six months and primary all of these people because Donald Trump is fighting all of this alone. He has no support from these uh, shameful Senate Republicans who haven't had his back on anything from collusion to the Mueller probe, barely impeachment um, to to now. And so, um, you know, that's why he needs to get out and talk talk to his supporters. Absolutely. And he needs to also continue to
1: beat the drum. Devin Nunes uh, about accountability. One of the things that he ran on in 2016 was draining the swamp as well as equal justice under the law. The pivotal moment for him in the debates was when he said to Hillary Clinton, if I were president, you would be in jail. He Mm -hmm. He needs to be putting the pressure on his Senate Republicans, putting the pressure on his Department of Justice to hold finally people accountable. There's no excuse for why Jim Comey was not prosecuted. There's no excuse for for why we don't have the Durham or, or Andrew McKay prosecuted. There's no excuse why we don't have the Durham report already out now. Uh, Devin Nunes is right to be concerned that it might be buried, although I had John Solomon on last night who said that he is seeing indications that there's uh, p- there will be criminal charges coming along uh, around a uh, Labor Day weekend. That must happen because um, I think that if there's one thing that could suppress the vote, it would be from his base. It would be them feeling that you know as much as they love President Trump, that he is just one man who stands alone and that it's kind of hopeless and that he can't do it all. Final thoughts, Julie Kelly.
3: I completely agree. I think if no one is held accountable for Gate, that will definitely suppress the base. Uh, I think people will feel hopeless and I think understandably so. Um, and so I think Durham... It, you know, needs to step it up. We need to see some charges. We know the crimes were committed. I don't know what he's waiting for. Um, And now we have Robert Mueller out, which is pretend, you know, op-ed that he pretended that that someone else wrote under his name. So the, the blows just keep coming from this crowd, but there's not any accountability. And I think it's an outrage it's a miscarriage of justice, not just for Donald Trump, but for the entire country. And I agree. I think if nothing comes out of the Durham investigation, nothing comes out of Senate Judiciary, which is happening now. Um, I think that has will impact voter turnout more than anything in November.
1: Well, I agree with you, and I thank you for being here. And I already know listeners have been buying your book, "Disloyal Opposition." In the you're, you're welcome, and they, everybody needs to read it. You got to understand who the enemy is, and uh, right. be, be aware and educate yourself. Julie, thank you for being here.
3: Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Andrea, thanks so much. All right, now stay tuned. We got more to come. I know
1: I got some callers waiting patiently on hold. Y'all, stay stay with me. We will be right back. <laughs>
0: Andrea K? Follow her on Twitter at Andrea K Show. And like her Facebook fan page at Andrea K. Kay. Spelled K-A-Y-E. You're listening to somebody who tells it like it is.
2: Andrea K on the Answer San Diego.
1: Welcome back to tonight's Andrea K. Show. Glad to have you guys with me, and glad to have these callers that have been waiting patiently on the line. We're going to go first to Sylvana. Hopefully, I pronounced that right. That's or Sylvana. That's a cool name. And it's Sylvana. Uh, have you called in before, Sylvana? Um, because I think I'm not sure. I'm. I could, no. I. Like- well, I can't
4: remember if I have or not. I've wanted
1: to. Oh and no, I, I think would you're a darling. Oh well thank you. I would recognize that lovely accent. Thank you for waiting patiently. Now you're an Uber driver and uh you wanted to you've you wanted to
4: chat about the COVID false information. Oh Lord um that and even the um to give people encouragement about um millennials um not being so swayed by the the fake information and the BLM group um i i have a million things i could talk to you about but i'll be succinct and i'll i'll, I'll just try and give you some anecdotes i'm actually a hairstylist by trade but obviously I'm not doing that. Um, so I've upped the ante on Uber driving. And I've been Uber driving for about two or three, four years now. And first and foremost, there's been a shift in the support for Donald Trump. Because when I first, right in the very beginning, I have a very unscientific collection of data, but I talk to everybody I, I, I pick up. And uh, in the beginning, it was about 65 for Trump to about 35, uh, 40 against him and um, the the people who went to the, obviously the liberal left colleges uh, and the young people were the ones who would literally throw their arms up in the air um, and say stop the car, I want to get out, which I would (laughs) oblige them to. I said I'm I'm more than happy to pull on the freeway. Um, The uptick on that though has been that uh, there really has been it's been encouraging to me because I I also go to church in a black community um, and But a lot of the black community that I do pick up, the young folk between the ages of like 17, 18 to to mid-30s, you would be surprised how many do not buy into the nonsense to start with Um, and they do not support what's going on. They don't feel they're being represented and they seem to have a very level head of understanding what's going on. And even if they don't necessarily 100% like Trump, they don't like the alternative but there's been a, a much greater increase of support that I've noticed not only amongst the black community but also the Latino and Spanish community because they're fearful of what's going on as far as COVID's concerned. I have had anecdote after anecdote after anecdote from healthcare workers from, um, I keep saying patients, from passengers where the numbers really are fake all the way from Yuma to El Centro mm-hmm. to Northern California where um, every single Patient that comes in is automatically then COVID, and this is financial. They get apparently between nine to thirteen thousand dollars, depending on what region they're in. Mm-hmm. If if the person they see is. Um, marked as a COVID patient more importantly if they're put on a ventilator whether they need to or not or if the patient dies regardless of whether it was a car accident a fentanyl overdose and I actually had an EMT who picked up two people in one day who were fentanyl overdoses previous um folks that he had assisted before, unfortunately, this time, they didn't make it. By the time he got to the hospital to fill in the paperwork, he was directed to mark them as COVID Mm. deaths before they even got tested. Wow. So it's, I, I, and and I've got passengers who are saying, you know, our relative died. We wanted, you know, they didn't die from COVID. They were Mm -hmm. going to amend their certificates. Um, So it's like one after the other. But the other one that's very egregious is um, I've had a couple of people have gone in to be tested for COVID or had friends to get tested. So if they were tested positive, it was marked as a COVID positive number. They were, They were told to quarantine, come back in two weeks and test again. Well, it's not the same. They were marked as... An additional COVID number, not the same right. That's being still with COVID. We, we talked
1: about that at the top of the show. They're adding in retesting as though it's to as though it's a new case when it's not. On top cool. of it, they're in addition to what you were talking about, with the hospitals being incentivized to claim everything was COVID. They're actually now the CDC is directing hospitals to go back and do it again to go back and look through their death certificates and see who they can claim were COVID. They're going back and intentionally claiming that telling hospitals that any but thing that was flu or pneumonia related. In addition to that, I wanted to read something from the CDC site. Let me see if I can find it here. I wasn't expecting you to call. Um, They actually say from the CDC site, Hang on just a second, my love. Oh, here it is. This is from the CDC website. A positive test result shows you may have antibodies from an infection with the virus that causes COVID-19. However, there is a a chance a positive result means that you have antibodies from an an infection with a virus from the same family of viruses called coronavirus, such as the one that causes the common cold. So what do we have, Silvana? We have, um, like you just described, fentanyl deaths. I mean any, any any pretty much every death uh, that they could claim was coronavirus. They're adding in retesting into the numbers. Um, $39,000
4: they get for a COVID test. Yes,
1: they're adding in retesting of people with positive test results. We've got in Florida, the, the uh, lab results were claiming that every test they did, they weren't rep- reporting po- uh, negative results, only positive. And now we've now they're being honest on the CD- only on the CDC site to say that a positive test result doesn't mean it's COVID-19. It could just be the common cold. We are being lied to and lied to and lied to and I will leave it here because I've got another caller holding. But you're right about one thing it's all about money, every bit of it is about money, not just hospitals being incentivized, but the destruction of the economy for power. For the left, and to try to shut down businesses, uh, and then to get everybody under their economic power, seize all the means of, of production that they can, then use however they want. And basically, what this is is Marxism already taking root in this country, and not by election, but be, but the exploitation of a, of a virus in order for gov- governments to do it, and it's and it's despicable. And I, but I thank you for calling in. I hope you call back oh, again.
4: You're, oh, you're welcome. I will. Thanks, like you. you too, hon. No. All right.
1: Um, mm-hmm. Robert, I think Robert's on the line, and he wants to call in talk about recalling Gavin Newsom. Hey, Robert, welcome to the show.
5: Hi, Andrea. It's Robert Buecher. I just wanted to let you oh, guys hey, know that um, this is a new uh, recall because there's been questions. Uh, you know, people have been asking, oh, is this the recall that we had a while back ago? No, this is a new recall. And they have to sign in the counties where they are registered to vote. And I believe they have from now until November to get the necessary amount of signatures in order to qualify it for the next ballot.
1: Which recall are you referring to? Because we had our friend Tom DeBaccaro, who's been on the show. He's leading a recall effort. So I don't know if there are multiple recall efforts. There really needs no, to be one. It's all one. the
5: same up and down the state. Okay. It's, yeah, it's all the same up and down the state. But from, what I, from the people that I'm talking to in my county, they said they only got from now until November to qualify or get all the signatures gathered, and they got to have them turned in sometime in November, I guess, to qualify it for the next ballot.
1: I think what we need to do is have Tom D back on tomorrow night, Potato Skins, and see what he can update us on, and see what the real deal is going yeah, I'll on. Reach out to him today, yeah, because we we you know we have got to get this man out of office. He has done so much damage. We've got we're going to have to take a break. When we come
2: back. I got think to he's done get- more harm than any governor we've ever had.
1: Well, yeah, because, you know, um, he has no intention of releasing his grip on this state. And he said the other day, Robert, I don't know if you heard this. He said that um, when he when he came when he shut down nail nail salons and gyms again, he said, you know, this was he was having to do it because after he lifted phase one and started reopening businesses, we proved that we didn't follow uh, the game plan that he thought that he had conditioned us to do right in terms of wearing masks and social distancing. And because we didn't uh, we didn't behave like good little soldiers for the state that he was going to shut us down. And he viewed it as this. Here's here's how he described it. He said the state is like uh, like a light switch that's that's got a dimmer and that he gets to adjust it up and down. Whenever he feels that he needs to, he is never oh. he is never going to stop doing that. He is going to continue to control the state until it is absolutely yep. ruined and Broken. destroyed, yeah. and that yeah. will just that will go a long way to destroying the rest of the country. Got to leave it there, Robert. Thank you for calling in. When we come back, you will hear from a local business owner, a barber here in San Diego, and and hear from what it actually is like to have your business being treated this way, being destroyed by Gavin Newsom. Stay tuned.
0: Sure to follow Andrea K on Twitter at Andrea K Show. And follow her on Facebook and like her fan page at Andrea K. Spelled K-A-Y-E. AK Dynamite and Address or just Andrea K.
2: Whatever you call her, she's on the Answer San Diego. Welcome back to
1: tonight's Andrea K Show. Glad to have you guys here with me. Uh, Listen, I've talked about it before. I've been getting some emails from you guys about uh, me talking about balance in nature and about, uh, first of all, one of the lessons we should have learned about everything related to this coronavirus is that the numbers, however they inflate them, it all boils down to this. It has a 99.9% recovery rate. For those of us who are younger, as well as most importantly, those even older with strong immune systems, that does not mean that you take balance in nature means you are never going to catch a virus or, or the coronavirus, but clearly having a strong immune system goes a long way. How do you get that? You, you make sure you exercise, you sleep right, you eat right. And the way I supplement my eating is with balance in nature. I get 10 servings of 31 fruits and vegetables a day. And let me tell you, I have not had one cold or one sinus infection in six months. And I've gotten emails and heard from you guys who know me well and know what a miracle that is. There's only one explanation and it's Balancing Nature. So uh, I highly recommend that you do the same thing. Take care of your immune system. Go to BalancingNature.com. Use the discount code HEALTH. And right now it's free shipping and 35% off. And yeah, I've gotten emails from you guys that it is more expensive than what you could maybe get you know, on the counter at Ralph's. But you know what? I tried all that stuff. And nothing helped me with with my immune system like balance in nature. Okay. Um, So – I started to say I'm pleased to have my next guest here, but I really wish that I had this gal on the show to talk about the the joys of entrepreneurship and having a dream and bringing that business to life, all of which I love so much and what the American dream is all about right in this country. Unfortunately, I'm having to bring this small business owner here in San Diego on to talk about how her business has been you know, uh, impacted um, by the Democrat governor and, and officials with due to the coronavirus. And it's Lizzie Broughton. And she's not just a a, a hair salon owner she's actually a lady barber which I think is so cool hi Lizzie Broughton welcome to the Andrea K show
4: hey how's it going
1: (laughs) well it's going good and I I thank you so much for being here I've heard first of all that you know you know a way around a man's head and a man's head a hair girl
4: yeah yeah we've been doing it for a while I think we're in December will be eight years that we've been open so We've had lots of wonderful clients come in and uh, definitely uh, when we started the year, didn't expect that it was going to look like this but we are we are pivoting the best that we can right
1: now. And how are you doing that because I know from other hair salon owners that I mean it was bad enough to be shut down. It feels arbitrary because I don't know why you can't, you know, go in and get your hair done when I can go in and be a foot away from if not closer mm-hmm. to a cashier who's taking my money at Ralphs, but I can't go in mm-hmm. and get my hair done. Um, yeah. uh, you know, so it's, it's incredibly arbitrary that it was, sh- that, that this was an industry that was shut down in the first place. Then just uh, minutes practically after it was, it w- was reopened, they got shut down again. I mean, what, what is happening now? Because my understanding is, first of all, I want to know what that, how that impacts what, what it does to the, to the business owner. But also, yeah. are you going to get some relief with this movement to move salons outside?
4: So to answer the first question, so as far as, like, how we're we're navigating it, the first time around it was foreign to all of us, Um, and I think that we were reacting to something that no one has really experienced in the last century. So I think just on a human aspect, I've been trying to keep this as human as possible. (laughs) Um, And I I think it is easy to, to see things... In a lens of um, our individual beliefs, but I'm going to give you a little story. I, I had taken my son out to Idlewild on Sunday randomly. We found like a really cool little space. I had just dropped my husband off to go to work for the week. He's up in San Jose, um, and I had this feeling. I was like, I just need to go and take a few days. Um, and this is before they had shut the flights down again. And so we were relaxing up there. And the next day we wake up. We had just gone to the lake, um, and it was like a really special day. And then I had gotten a picture from one of our clients, actually, um, a close friend of mine, and and I was in shock um, to see that the salons were closing again. Um, and I think the thing that has been the most difficult for me is as I was driving home because we had cut the, sh- the trip short by two days, I tried to find any news outlet that would lend support to small business owners um, and just give some guidance. Like for about, I'd say like 10, 12 hours, no one really knew the answer if it was that we were supposed to close immediately, if there was a date. Um, I think the communication in for small businesses has been really challenging and um so we've had to make a lot of assumptions, I think, on our own. And then, as as far as the impact, so I think for me, um, and and fellow small business owners and salon owners, it's it's just been tough because it it kind of feels like everyone's a bit on their own island, um, mm-hmm. and we're all kind of shifting and navigating as best as we can. So at, we actually did receive the PPP loan on the first round which was extremely helpful. Um, we actually let our staff come back about a month before they officially reopened us on June 2nd. Um, and it was magical. We actually got to spend a few weeks together really working on the business. And then we all got in there in June. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we really were hoping they weren't going to close us down again. Um, but I think on this round, two, everyone's going to go about this differently. A lot of businesses are going to close, I think, yeah. So, uh, which sucks. Like, it's just inevitable. Like, I think restaurants especially and a little bit larger operations that are, are um, more difficult to pivot, like, we're a small company still. So yeah. we are lean. We purposely stayed that way through this so that um, our costs and things like that are, are really well dialed in. Um, but I think the restaurants, for instance, I actually feel worse for them uh, the ones that is, uh, I know that everything's going outside right now for them, uh, but having the food costs and everything else. Yeah. Well, that's, we've, that's
1: we've got about a minute left. If you could, if you could talk yep. to Gavin Newsom, what would you say to him?
4: Um, as far as our industry goes, I think that trust that we have, you know, 1600 hours of experience in recognizing viruses and, um, I, I think give us give us a chance to at least cut outside, uh, to allow hopefully more businesses to stay open through this pandemic. I think more I would speak to the Board of Cosmetology and say, um, you know, you guys trusted us with our license, so trust the rest yeah. divided, So trust us. Like let's yeah. pivot a little bit more and let's go Cut some hair
1: outside. <laughs> with Lizzie, yeah, when Lizzie brought and I from uh, Tailored Hair, I thank you so much for being here tonight yeah. and sharing your story thanks and it is a human you. story. It absolutely is human and this is, this is hurting so many Americans, these shutdowns. We love you all. Yeah. We'll be back. Thanks, thank thanks you, you, Lizzie. So all right, we'll be back.